Podcast. I'm Chuck Tate. That's Andy King. How you doing, mate? Doing great, mate. It's always good when we get together to hang, you know? Well, hang... That's that's that that leads right into the story. <laughs> you what? texted me the other night. You texted me. That's right, and you couldn't really answer. I did though. I almost fell off a ladder. You got to tell the story. You have <laughs> yeah, got to well, tell te- the story. You texted me, and I was on top of a ladder in our den, trying to change light bulbs. Trying to trying to actually fix light bulbs that. Are um, I don't even know what the word they're 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 controlled by Alexa. Yeah, so like the LED yeah, lights, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, LED that, lights that that you you know use the use your app for. And I mean, technology is so crazy nowadays. And um, but my son actually oversees all that. I'm the one who got up there and put them up. You know, yeah. like a year ago or 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 longer. And um, but one of them went out. <laughs> one of them went out, right? And right. Then my my mother in law lives with us, and she was because we have them set up through Alexa. Um, and the reason we do is because <laughs> this bad. ceiling fan is is pretty pretty high up in the air. Like you, you can't get to it even from standing on a, like standing on it would have to be a really high table. So I had to get a get a ladder. Yeah. But the reason is because the the hanging rope. It's a ceiling fan light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the hanging rope um, snapped off, uh, so you can't change the lights or the fan settings. Yeah. Yeah. So my mother-in-law just leaves the fan on all the time. Yeah. And then she just says, "Alexa, turn lights fifty percent. Alexa, turns off. Turn off all lights. Alexa, turn on lights." And you know, we don't have to worry about it. Well, all of a sudden, Alexa is not getting the message. <laughs> She's ignoring us. And, well, she wasn't ignoring us because in the past, sometimes when Wi-Fi goes out, you have to reboot, nothing happens. But yeah. but she responds, like I said, Alexa, turn lights on 100%. Okay, turning lights on. <laughs> Alexa, turn lights off. Turning lights off, right? But nothing was happening. She's saying that she was doing it, but she was lying. <laughs> So I thought, you know what? I wonder if the, the something we had a, a storm, a really bad storm the previous night. Yeah, and I think something happened, jacked with the technology or something. So I, I, I had to get up on a ladder, and you texted me about what I was doing or something. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. this is my view right now. And I took a picture with my phone <laughs> on top of the ladder and almost fell off. Right? Oh man! But I, what I ended up doing was I took all the light bulbs out, put them back in, in different spots. And now it works. One one of them is burned out. I have to reorder okay, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that triggered something, either that or lightning did from the storm. I don't. Well, I don't know. But Alexa is now working again. <laughs> but the funniest thing was me calling you or texting you and saying what you're doing, and it was I'm trying to get a hold of Ashton so I can change the light bulb. Yeah, yeah, because he was, was at like, camp. And he was, at, he was camp. at camp, and he's the one who has the app on his phone. I, I don't even have the app. You know what I mean? So, because I thought, well, maybe I can uh, reboot everything on the app, and it would work. And so I called him, and, um, yeah, my 14-year-old son at camp trying to help me. But we got it. We got it. So, uh, and I didn't need the app. Yeah, you didn't need the app. So. But but this we need this episode because oh, man, man 
you know, talk about climbing up a ladder and fixing stuff. Our culture is crazy, and we need, I mean, I tell you what, there's so many Christians that they they don't truly know what they believe. Yeah. And I've been really excited about our guest today for several weeks. And so Weeks, great. no, months. We, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, since we yeah. started trying to get this gal, like, you have been like, this is... Because this is like your love language. What yeah. she's talking about, this yeah. is like... Yes, gets yeah. you up on stage to preach. I mean, man. So Chuck, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about it? Man, I am so excited about this. I have been been waiting um, a, a long time as, as a pastor. I am constantly sharing with our congregation how vital it is to know what you believe and to know why you believe it. Because if you don't know the truth of the Word of God, it's so easy to be deceived by lies that sound like truth. Yeah. And our guest today, her book, Another Gospel, was instrumental in me doing a series yeah. where we unpack what it means to follow God's worth, the truth of Scripture. And she has a new book coming out in October that yeah. she's going to share more about. So I'm just saying, yeah, I'm pumped. We're ready to ready to turn her loose and, and just so you you understand everyone that's listening this is like she's like the forerunner at the minute for this whole um apologetics apologetics fighting against deconstruction like yeah, if biblical you, worldview yeah if you know or you're wanting to find out more about this whole world that's happening right now this is the woman that millions are going to Yep. And so uh, we are really privileged to have her on Revival Town podcast today. So why don't you sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Alisa Childers. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. All right, everyone, it's time for another conversation on Revival Town Podcast. Our guest today, Elisa Childers, is a wife, mom, podcaster, blogger, speaker, worship leader, and author of books, Another Gospel, and her forthcoming book, Live Your Truth and Other Lives. She was a member of the award-winning CCM recording group, Zoe Girl, and she is currently a respected speaker at apologetics and Christian worldview conferences, as well as the host of her popular YouTube channel. Elisa's story was featured in the documentary, American Gospel, Christ Crucified, and she has been published at the Gospel Coalition, Crosswalk, the Christian Post, and numerous additional publications. Her blog post, Girl, Wash Your Face, What Rachel Hollis Gets Right, and wrong received more than one million views and we are honored to have her right now on revival town elisa welcome hey guys i'm so thrilled to be with you it was great we were just chatting uh just before we came on and uh you had a bit of connection with the dream center out in la which which we didn't even know about and obviously with me yeah. running dream center that was really cool uh just for that connection and uh, how long ago, you said it was near the LA 
launch. So it been many years ago, right? Uh, it was it was right around when it f- was first getting started. I I couldn't say the exact year because it was I was only there for one year. I had moved to New York for a couple of years to do some um, some youth ministry there. Then I moved back to LA when Dream Center was just kind of getting up and going. And I sang on the worship team. Wow. And I, I shared with you even before I actually sang in Matthew and Caroline's wedding. Wow. So wow. it was like right around the time they got married. That that ought to help us date it if, yeah. you know, whenever they got married. But, uh, <laughs> and then I moved from there to go to Nashville to be a part of Zoe Girl. Wow. 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 Okay. You mentioned Zoe Girl. And I just mentioned this. And, uh, you know, my boys who are now 23 and 21. Um, when they were younger, um, Zoe Girl was played a lot in our house. <laughs> and uh, it's like full circle now we get to, to talk with you. Um, what was that like for you? Just, just you know, obviously you said you moved back from, from LA to Nashville. Now you're starting this group. What, what was that like in the early years? You know, so many different emotions flood my mind when you say that because on for so many on so many levels it was so great. I mean, it was just the time of my life moving out on my own to Nashville and uh, just you know meeting the girls and getting to record and write and uh, touring. It was like a whirlwind, really. Um, and then you know the reason I said it's kind of mixed is because as time went on. What I began to realize is that touring in the Christian music industry is very hard. It actually kind of makes you cynical. It can make you kind of jaded, yeah. and you have to kind of fight against that. It actually, in my case, um, I think it, it made me a little bit apathetic. I remember getting on the first tour we went on and bringing my big Strong's Concordance so that I could study the Bible every day. And then by the end, if I'm honest, I don't even think I was reading my Bible every day. It was, um, and I think that's what set me up. I think that's part of what made me vulnerable to what would end up happening next in my life, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Um, but so, so in many ways, it was the best time of my life. And it was also in many ways, the hardest time of my life, uh, just for different reasons. But, um, you know, I was 25 and out on my own for the first time. So it was exciting. And yeah. It was fun. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, you mentioned that it's easy to get, get jaded. I have a really good friend who was very involved in the Christian music industry and, and played with some, some bigger name bands and toured and, you know, um, found some success in writing songs. And he ended up just jaded in a mess. And I remember sitting with him and he looked at me and just said, Chuck, I don't know what I believe anymore. He went out to California and um, then to New York. And today he's... He's agnostic. I still consider him a friend, still love him, pray for him. And uh, we sure. agree to disagree on a number of issues. But um, it bums me out that a lot of that stemmed from things that he saw by people mm-hmm. who profess to be Christians, which we can't look at people. But obviously, um, over time, it's easy for that to happen. Yeah, and sadly, that's a really common story, yeah. especially in the deconstruction phenomenon. We So much of that is being promoted so heavily through people who were a part of the contemporary Christian music industry. Yeah. I think for a lot of those reasons. Well, tell us a little bit from going from Zoe Girl and, and this journey that you have been on. Um, and, and uh, you know, you mentioned the hot, you know, and, and Chuck mentioned also the hot topics and deconstruction is a big deal right now, and uh, which is sad as far as just how people are going about it the wrong way as far as 
not standing on the truth of the word. Um, can you, though, take us from perhaps those Zoe girl years to where you're at now and, and how you've come on that journey? Yes, certainly. So we spent close to a decade touring uh, ev- all over. It was, And again, just a great experience on so many levels. Uh, but there came a point in time when we were all, we, by the end, we were all married. We were starting to have children. And we just ultimately decided to, to end and, you know, be, be with our kids. And so I found myself really disconnected from the local church, if I'm honest, even from the time from the time I left the Dream Center to move to Nashville, I always would attend a church if I was in town on a Sunday, but I never got plugged into a church when I was touring, uh, and that's my fault. I don't blame anyone else for that. But it's very difficult to be connected to the local church when you're touring because unless you're very intentional, which I was too young and stupid to think about this, um, you know, you're gone on Sundays for the most part. You're rarely home on a Sunday. And so there really wasn't a pastor in Nashville that was aware of me or that could hold me accountable or anything like that. So when we came off the road, my husband and I wanted to really dig, you know, plant roots and get into a church. We had a, a daughter now and, together. And so we attended a church for a while that we we liked, but then we ended up attending this other church that we loved. It was just that connection was there. We loved the community. Um, Some of the, like you mentioned your friend who had been in CCM and some of the things he'd seen, I admit, you know, when you're touring and you get to experience every different kind of, especially evangelical church that's out there, there's almost this um, that's where the jadedness comes from. Because for every great experience you have where the Christians are wonderful and hospitable and kind, you know, you have one or two where, you know, it's just not that way. Yeah. And so I um, I found among the people there that they had been seeing some of those same things. And that resonated with me, maybe some critiques of evangelical culture that we shared. Now, at the time, I had no idea that most of those people were willing to throw the gospel out with the rest of it. Mm. So that was down the road a bit. But we loved this church. We loved the pastor's intellectual approaches to the sermons. Uh, we had not really, we, we just, my husband and I both grew up from more of a charismatic background, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, but we just weren't used to that real, you know, line by line expository Bible teaching in the right. streams we grew up in. And so we really, really loved that. And so about eight months into uh, this experience, the pastor approached me and he said, I want you to be a part of this smaller group study that's going to happen once a week. It's four years long. It's like an ordination class. It's a study and discussion group where we're going to really dig into our faith and we're going to we're going to really like engage with questions. And boy, that sounded exciting to me because I knew that I hadn't been reading my Bible enough. I knew that I wanted to know more about the intellectual side of my faith. And so, uh, but I was not prepared at all for what was going to happen next. And so in one of the first meetings we had, the pastor announced that he was a hopeful agnostic. That's how he um, identified himself. That just blows my mind. I I know. I just, I can't wrap my mind around that. I know. Joined us for four years in the work. By the way, I'm I'm a hopeful and agnostic. Right. (laughs) Well, and what I learned that I know, and and throughout the course of being in that class, what I learned too is that he would say things like, you know, 
his beliefs had changed, but he hadn't really told everybody on Sunday mornings. So on Sunday mornings, he was still preaching, you know, pretty standard Bible sermons. But behind the scenes, his beliefs had all changed. And I found out later, I actually only found this out a couple years ago, even after my book came out. Um, he made a video where he basically said, you know, uh, that he had already been through deconstruction and his hope was to get people into deconstruction so that he could convert them to progressive Christianity. And he wow. was very good at it. And mm. so that really propelled me into a faith crisis that I never saw coming ever. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And you do such an excellent job in your book, Another Gospel. I shared before we began recording that, um, we use that that church I, that inspired a series that we did um, called "The Bible Tells Me So." N- not the same as the book that you talk about in your book. About nothing to do with that, <laughs> but <laughs> standing on the word. You know, um, one of my good friends says, "You know what? If if deconstruction takes you away from Jesus and His Word, then it's not deconstruction; it's destructive, right?" So we have to be careful. Right. And in your in your book. You, you share the story. And that's what I, I love about the book is you're taking us on a journey. You're taking us into your story as you're learning, as you're studying, and you're bringing it. And it, I think such a, I mean, Lee Strobel said it in the, in the forward or on the, on the, on the cover uh, in his, his endorsement. It was probably the most important book you're going to read. And, um, you know, pastoring the same church now for, for 24 years, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. Um, how many people have walked away from their faith? They're deconstructing away from Jesus, away from his word. And now it's pastors. And I just, I, I just, I honestly can't believe the word says this would happen. But it's, yeah. it's, it's really sobering that it's happening right now. Yeah. It's so funny, too, that you would mention how the Bible predicts that would happen. Because when I was in this small group study with the pastor, he even brought that up. He brought up that like the passages where the Bible predicts the great falling away. And I remember his, his analysis of that, what he meant to erode our faith actually built my faith because here's what he said. He said, you know, it, the people who wrote the Bible, they even put a fail safe in there. It's like, you know, of course, if the Bible predicts people are going to fall away and then they do, then it's got a fail safe. But what, but it backfired because what that told me was, Okay, if what you said is true, then there's more to the book than just one person's human intelligence, right? If it actually did predict something that would end up happening on a grand scale, then maybe that's a a check on the box for biblical inspiration rather than against it. And. Uh, and it was interesting how so many verses were twisted and uh, and just taken out of context or even misquoted. And um, yeah, it was it was a difficult, very difficult experience. Well, wow. tell us about that. I mean, okay, so this guy comes out and says that. I mean, are you are you staying in that group, and are you there to challenge, or was it? I need to hear what this guy is saying so I can figure out for myself the reality of the truth of the word in my life. What was that decision so, process like? For me, I would say that I never, while I was in the class, I was never at the place where I would say, I don't know what I believe and I want to figure it out. I knew what I believed. I was 100% convinced the Bible was the word of God. Jesus was who he said he was. The Bible is true. God is real. All of that. But I found my beliefs being eroded Mm. 
And so then I found myself in a position of, okay, I can't unknow what the pastor has said. In fact, that's in, that's one thing he said to us when the class started is what you're about to learn, you will never be able to unknow. And in, in many ways, he, he was right. All of those seeds of doubt had been planted. So while I was in the class, I was kind of in fight mode. I would try to debate him. I would go home and Google stuff and try to refute what he was saying. Um, but there came a point in time when my husband and I left the church and it was then it was, I, I was in the class maybe f- about four months. And when we left the church and then I was isolated, um, which is good. I needed to get out of that situation. I think sure. I had enough, I had enough to chew on to, and this is the, I, I hope I'm not getting too jumpy around. No, I'm jumping good. around too you're much, good. but this is important point because one of the things that people will criticize my work on is they'll say, well, you didn't stay. You didn't stay for the four years. Um, I stayed four months. And that's true. I did. But I had four months worth of a lifetime of faith eroding material to work through. So I could have stayed and not ever gotten to get to the questions that were asked during the four months and just get the whole tidal wave of everything all in four years when I don't have the time to start investigating all of the rapid fire truth claims that were being made. That's true. I could have. But I had a lifetime of doubt now to work through just Mm -hmm. in four months. And I wasn't going to stand by and just take what he was saying on good faith that he knew what he was talking about and that he was telling the truth. I had to investigate all of the things that were being said. So I wanted to just say that as a side note. Uh, If anyone hears that and thinks, well, you didn't get the full enchilada. Oh, I got enough of it. Trust me. (laughs) I got enough to completely deconvert me. Um, But I wasn't going to just let it sit there. I had to investigate it. So um, when we left and I was, it was kind of an isolating time of life anyway, as a new mom, first time mom. And all of the doubts that had been planted, that's when they really began to take root and grow because I had nobody to fight with anymore. Mm. I had nobody to try to refute. refute. And so I found myself in um, incredible dark night of the soul, Uh, I think it's fair to call it a deconstruction. Uh, I never fully lost my faith because I, I knew Jesus. That was the, the dilemma, the, the, you know, the, just the mind confusion of the whole thing was that I had become intellectually convinced that what I believed was actually factually false. Yet I knew that it was true because I knew Jesus. I had walked with Jesus my whole life. And so it was like a very double-minded place to be in. And I, I called out to, to God one night and I just said, Lord, I don't know what to do. If you exist, if you're real, if everything that I've believed about you, like this is the time for you to show up. But I didn't need him to show up with a transcendent worship experience. I had that in spades my whole life. I had no problem connecting with God emotionally, spiritually, experientially, all of that. Like that was good. I needed information. I needed to know that the experiences that I've had my whole life were not just my my brain playing tricks on me. And so that's when the Lord led me to the study of apologetics. And what I discovered in my book, I describe it like a kid in a candy store who just found out candy exists. Mm. I found myself with an embarrassment of riches of evidences in science and history, biblical scholarship, you name it, all these disciplines that were coming together to demonstrate the truthfulness of the historic claims of Christianity. And so that's when my faith began to reconstruct. And um, I'm so thankful. God was so faithful 
to walk me through that whole situation and bring me here to you. I had no idea I'd ever be doing stuff like this. Right. So. Well, we're, we're so grateful, and you really are a gift to the body of Christ, and um, appreciate uh, your ministry and your, yeah. your work, your study, your, your writings, your voice, because there's so many people right now that they don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. Um, you know, I've heard yeah. so many people say, well, I believe in God, and that's not enough to, to believe in God. The devil believes in God, right? The demons believe in God, and they tremble on his name. Yeah, so we right. need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it and how to defend it. And, and your book is a great um, resource for every believer. In fact, I think I tweeted one time, every Christian needs to, when, as I was reading, oh. every Christian <laughs> needs to read another gospel, like, right now! <laughs> so... So, and now you have a new book that's coming out, um, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. Of course, Live Your Truth is such a popular catchphrase in our culture today. Um, so how did, how did that book come about? Why don't you tell us more about it? And we'll probably dive into that a little bit. So that, this book came about a little bit more organically than another gospel. And so here's what I, I mean by that. Typically, someone writes a book and then they'll put together a presentation or a a lecture or a talk that they'll do at conferences based on the information in the book. This second book kind of happened the opposite. It's actually based on a talk I've been giving at women's conferences for years. In fact, it's my most requested topic because it interacts in like in a really significant way with the claims of some of the most highly platformed progressive Christian sort of self-helpish kind of uh, platforms, like people like Glennon Doyle, Rachel Hollis, Jen Hatmaker, and some of the real self-focused claims that the, uh, these platforms are making. So these platforms, they're not so much interested in talking about eschatology or, you know, your your doctrine of the church or your doctrine of the Holy Spirit. They're more interested in talking about you, right, the doctrine right. of you. and digging down into your heart and finding all that goodness and unleashing it on the world. And it sounds good. And so many people fall for these ideas because honestly, it is the dominant message that we're being bombarded with in our culture. And I think what it really comes down to is just the, the idea that um, humans are inherently good. That That's the basis of all of these lies is they're built upon the idea that if you dig down inside yourself, what you're going to find there is something good. And so um, because the talk was so highly requested when it came time to think about a second book, my literary agent actually was wanting me to write a more systematic theology of progressive Christianity uh, because, you know, another gospel is really more of a theological memoir. It's not real informational. There is information in it, but it's really more of a memoir that interacts with progressive Christianity, but it's in by, it's by no means an academic level takedown of the movement, right? So he was kind of hoping something like that. And I thought, that sounds so depressing. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I don't think my soul can do it. And and I knew that if I was going to take on something like that, I would have to get, um, you know, some scholarly help. And um, anyway, I just, that was just did not sound like something I wanted to do. So it started to come about, like, why don't I take this talk that I've been doing at women's conferences and expand that into a book? And I had so much fun writing it. It's very story driven. There's a lot of humor in it. Uh, and, and we talk, I guess, talk about the Bible and the answers that the Bible gives to some of these lies. So it was really fun to write. It flowed really naturally. And I'm very excited to share it with the world on October 18th. Yes, we cannot wait. Cannot wait. Um, 
Uh, so, and obviously there'll be an audible version with you narrating again. I'm, I'm presuming. Right. I've already recorded it and it's ready to go. So, yeah. All right. So we would definitely want our listeners to, to, to go and pre-order the book. All right. Is it available for pre-order already? It is. Yes. And in, um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but if, if your listeners pre-order the book, hang on to your receipt for whatever outlet you bought, you pre-ordered it from, because we are going to be offering a pre-order bonus, which I think is going to be four or five exclusive content videos that are based around the material in the book. So kind of like a little course that we'll give to for free for everybody who pre-orders books. So I don't have those links yet, but if you hang on to those receipts, you can, you can access those later. All right. We'll try to include that in the in the notes that we post when this goes live, which is at about three weeks. Three weeks. Uh, three from, weeks yeah, from, yeah. From, from now. So um, in the new book, I know that um, you're going to talk a lot about truth. Truth is perceived to be subjective in our culture. So why is it important then to draw attention to the distinction between the truth and your truth? Because obviously everybody is after you know, finding their own truth. And I mean, obviously, I know people that have left our church that have walked away from their faith, and they would say they haven't walked away from their faith, but there's no talk of Jesus. There's no relationship. There's no, uh, you know, it's just, I'm out to find my truth. Yes. Well, I think that defining and understanding the definition and the nature of truth is possibly one of the most important things for Christians to be talking about and pastors to be teaching about because our entire culture and especially Gen Z, which is, you know, about 25 and under right now, they have bought hook, line and sinker into the idea that you determine your own truth. Uh, in fact, just a couple of days ago, I have a, a Facebook group that has about 6,000 people in it. And I said, look, anybody who's got a connection to a teenager, if you're a parent, a youth pastor, pastor, auntie, whoever you are, if you know a teen, I want you to answer this question as best you can. What is the number one lie that the teens in your life are buying into? And post after post after post after post, the number one thing that everybody was writing was some iteration of the idea that teens are buying into the idea that your feelings determine truth. Mm. So whatever you feel, that's true. And that's that's where we get my truth, your truth. And what we have to understand, and this is the point I kind of made in another gospel and I try to make even stronger in Live Your Truth and Other Lies, is that your truth doesn't exist. If there's anything that would be qualified as your truth, that's called an opinion. That's a preference. That's like picking your favorite flavor of ice cream. Right. There's no objective standard outside of you to determine the best flavor of ice cream. So if you think it's vanilla and I think it's chocolate, there's nothing to decide between us. That makes it an opinion. That makes it a preference, not an objective reality. However, and, and most people would agree that objective truth exists. I, th I think that, you know, even relativists go to the bank and expect the money to be in there. They take medicine for the, you know, the diseases they may have. So everybody lives as if objective truth exists. But the problem with our culture is that when it comes to things like religion and morality, our culture has taken those out of the objective reality category, like medicine and banking and math, 
and they've put them in the ice cream category. They've put them in the subjective category. So really what you believe about God, what you believe is right and wrong, that's just, that just depends on you and what you think. And you, you look inside you to find what your truth is and you live it. Well, the problem with relegating, especially things like morality to the subjective category is if you and I disagree over what's right and wrong, and there's nobody above us to decide what what that is now you know there might be a police officer and then a law or a government but we've seen whole governments do things that are objectively wrong look at the right. nazi holocaust right. look and look at america in a certain year when it was perfectly legal to own slaves that doesn't make it right just because the most people thought that that was okay right right and so if it's just relative then it's whoever has the most power that gets to control what's right and wrong. That can't be right. And so I think we just need to make this point for people so that they can understand that uh, that morality is not in the ice cream category. It's objective, mm. but it only it, it only is objective if God exists because he's the the moral standard above us that we appeal to to say this is why I believe this is right or wrong. But our culture has completely lost sight of this because they've lost sight of God. And, you know, especially when it comes to truth with Christianity, Christianity isn't just a way of living or like a philosophy or a set of traditions or rituals. It depends on the resurrection of Jesus being an objective fact, an, an actual event in history. In fact, Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith's in vain and you're still in your sins. And so truth is absolutely key for Christians to understand that there's really there's no such thing as me saying, well, I'm a Christian. You can you be whatever you are. That's fine. You know, you live your truth and I'll live mine. And that would be very unloving if Christianity is true. If Christianity is true and people are going to spend an eternity apart from the presence of God and his love and goodness, then it's not loving at all for me to say, oh, yeah, you just you do you and I'll do me. Mm. I mean, uh-huh. that, that's incredibly unloving if Christianity is true and if truth exists. Right. Right. Wow. So we're not supposed to just follow our heart or follow our feelings? <laughs> right. I don't and think that's, it's a good idea. <laughs> I, as I write in the, in the new book, and I'll follow your heart, that one landed me in traffic court. You know, it's not always a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, you know, I've, I've had this conversation way back when I was youth pastoring, even back then, you know, if it's not the truth, of the word of God, you're going to cherry pick what is and what isn't. Then really the whole thing isn't all the whole thing is, right. but knowing what you believe is so critical to the whole thing, you, you know, not just pulling this out and that, well, I'm going to believe in this and, but I don't know about this. Well, then you've, you're on, you're, you're lukewarm, aren't you? God's going to spew you out. So, um, so I appreciate you going there because I think there's been a lot of Christians, um, pastors as well, include like the the pastor you talked about, that they either don't want to go there because they they now have got to really stand on the truth, or this is rocking my faith, and I need to get on my knees and ask God to really show me this thing that is is really coming against what I've believed all these years. Um, mm-hmm. So I do appreciate you, especially for that generation that you you've talked about, Chuck. Yeah, I was going to say there's, I mean, obviously there are, there are even pastors that are dismantling and dismissing scripture, but I also have a problem with the pastor that's silent, that refuses to say yeah. anything, that won't teach the truth of the word. Um, you know, I think that that's just as much a problem, and that's probably 
one of the reasons why we're in the place that we are, even though we know in the last days this is going to happen. I, you know, I, had, a, I had a person came to me and, and who had been a part of our church for, for years and years and has always struggled with his sexuality. And I've met with them, I've talked with them, I've prayed with them, all those things. And finally he came to me and he just said, hey, um, just let you know I'm leaving the church. I'm going to find a church that believes what I do. Like that's dangerous, but that's our culture. So it is our culture. I mean, and and if you think about not to just keep harping on the nature of truth, but if you think about Romans one, when Paul talks about everyone who's ever been born can look out into creation and actually have access to not just the knowledge that God exists, but we can actually know certain things about his divine attributes. Paul says, Mm. just by looking into the things he's made. And then when Paul talks about how people reject that, he doesn't say, well, they just sort of, you know, became intellectually convinced that wasn't true, so they sought something else. No, he says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And there's a moral core to the whole thing. And imagine uh, people describe leaving the church as feeling like this freedom. I can, I can understand that. You know, casting off moral restraint and getting to embrace the thing that, you know, you think you love, the sin in your life that you think you love, I'm sure that feels really freeing for a time because, you know, you don't have rules anymore. You don't have a moral uh, guardrail that you have to stay inside of. I get the feeling of the freedom, but it all, but see, if you if you deny that objective truth exists and the, or that it, that it could be known, it's a ticket out of all of this stuff because it's your ticket to freedom. You can do what you want. You can live your truth. You can embrace your sin. You can, you can identify yourself any way that you want to. And um, I think that's the biggest problem that the church is going to be facing right now. And that really is this sort of vehicle that can lead to lots of different places called deconstruction. It can lead to progressive Christianity, like your friend who says, well, I'm going to find a church that believes like I do, or that'll affirm, you know, me in certain ways. Or it might lead people completely out, but um, deconstruction is really rooted in a rejection of absolute truth. I really believe it is. I believe so. So, what would you, what would you say? Um, or let me ask you a question: Do you do you believe um, social justice without Jesus is a slippery slope? So I, I. The reason I'm pausing is because I want to be very careful how I answer this question. I actually don't think I if you would have asked me that question three years ago, I would have said you have you know, if you're going to do. Yes, we should do social justice. We should do all that stuff. That's before I realized that the phrase social justice has a really specific definition that is trickled down from academia into culture. Social justice is not biblical because social justice is really built upon a Marxist ideology uh, that it's a different definition of justice than biblical justice. So social justice is the idea that an injustice is anything that's not an equal outcome. So that's an injustice according to social justice. So biblical justice actually starts with the nature and character of God. Anything that falls short of God's perfect nature and character is an injustice. And guess who's guilty of that? Everybody, we are all guilty of that. And that's even how we can look out into the world 
and observe injustices that are happening to other people. Um, you know, violent crime, things like this, uh, slavery, great example of a, of a rightly identified injustice. Yeah. But to do social justice in our culture today means that you must advocate for any cause that is trying to level the playing field. Now, the reason that's dangerous is because they're going to use identity categories that the world has created that are not biblical and they're going to say any any difference is unjust. So for the gay person who can't get married, that's an injustice. So that's why the law was changed, because according to social justice, that needs to be righted. There's, you know, environmental social justice. There's all sorts of categories that ultimately pit people against each other as oppressed versus oppressor. So you got me started on a on a big one. I'll try not to go too deep into it, but it's um, it is the replacement of the gospel. So when people reject the real gospel, which is sin and repentance, and then of course there'll be good fruit in our lives if we're real Christians. Um, but if you're going to go down the social justice, uh, you know, path, you're going to inevitably have to, you're not going to be able to just do social justice when it comes to something like race. It's going to bleed over into sexuality. It's going to bleed over into gender roles. Right. Um, all the time, I'm researching a book right now for deconstruction, so this is really on my mind, but yeah. um, it's not, you can't just have the social justice conversation about uh, in regard to race, because if you have the ideology, um, you can't be a complementarian, right? You can't say that um, as a Christian, there's a different role that women might have than men because that would be oppressive because that's an unequal outcome. That's why we see so often the view of compliment. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, complementarian, egalitarian, I think that's an in-house discussion among Christians. I'm not saying, you know, that if you're not a complementarian, you're, I'm just saying that the, the portrayal of complementarianism as oppressive is, is a problem. Mm. And that's coming from social justice. So yes, it's a slippery slope and it's a quick, I mean, it's one that accelerates really, really fast. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have, to, we have to be careful. I mean, it, it, we look at Genesis in the very beginning when the snake said, did God really say? And, he, you know, the, the first thing, he, he said something that God didn't say, and then he twisted it. And, of course, then she, Eve, desired and wanted it and bought, bought the lie. And, and then, of course, Adam followed along. And in, in Romans, Paul says, if we don't want to, if, if we know the word, we're not going to be deceived by lies that sound like truth. And right now on social media, there are a lot of lies that sound like, that sound good, but are false, right? That are truth. Jesus right. said that you're truly my disciple if you hold firm to my teachings. But we live in a culture that wants to dismiss his teachings. And what's so crazy to me is that people that will dismiss the word in their way out of it is saying, well, I'm just going to focus on what Jesus said. Well, this is what Jesus said, right? Yeah. So, so how, how can our listeners um, be careful when it comes to social media? Like, do you have any advice regarding social media? What, what, um, what one lesson should, can we learn from, from that? I go so many different directions on this right now. <laughs> um, I have, a, you know, I mean, I have general concerns, but in the book, in the book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, I talk about social media being very similar to the Tower of Babel. Hmm. You know, the world had one language and hmm. we're kind of there again. Yeah. We have one language. We have access to information. And one of my concerns with social media, especially with a younger generation that don't have fully developed frontal lobes, is what I've observed among younger people 
with social media is that because there's so much information and because there's so many different people saying totally different things about the same subject, it creates a culture of agnosticism. And here's what I mean by that. Because there's so many different perspectives, it can have the effect on especially young people to where they would say, well, I can't really make up my own mind until I hear from this person. Well, then this person has a different opinion. I need, And then it creates an environment where you can never land on what you believe about anything because right. there's always going to be another person with a different opinion. And so um, I think that that can be one of the dangers. Another danger I, I see a lot with Christian parents, um, I see this. I see it everywhere, but it's especially popular in the progressive Christian, it seems like, social media where, you know, whatever kind of awkward or dumb thing your kid did at 12 years old, you you put it on social media to make everybody laugh like it's funny. And you're going to get a laugh and you're going to get a bunch of likes, but your kid's also going to grow up and go back and be able to see all the stuff you've been writing about them. Mm. And that is something that I've tried to really navigate carefully. Uh, where if I do talk about my kids on social media, it's going to be something that I would be proud for them to go back and see that I said about them, something that would build wow. them up, something sure. that would would be um, encouraging to them. And frankly, you know, I have one child that would rather not be mentioned, would not doesn't want photos on social media. So I stopped posting photos and I deleted stuff. And I want to respect the anonymity of my child because one day my child is going to grow up and I'm concerned that we're going to have a whole generation of kids that's going to go back and read all of their parents' social media uh, timelines and just be very hurt mm, and, and mm. very feel very betrayed. I mean, imagine your awkward phase, you know, wow. like the most horrifying time of your life if your parents were just live tweeting about it all the time. So the parents don't do that. Don't do it yeah. for the laugh. Don't call your right. kids monsters. Don't wow. see, you know what I mean? You yeah. see, I see it all the time, hashtag monsters or whatever. And it's like, man, the backlash is going to be epic. I that, think. that is so On- good. You know, I've kind of learned the hard way being a pastor and incorporating stories, things that happen throughout the week that I know will get a laugh or they fit with the message. But I've learned now over the years to get permission um, yes. from my kids and because um, in the past I didn't ask for their permission I just I just went for it and yeah. even my, my son he's an incredible artist he's 14 and I want to share everything that he sends me but I don't yeah. and, he, and he asked me specifically please don't post it like there's certain times right. where he'll show me something or tell me something don't post that please don't post that and I, I yeah. have to respect that or, yeah. or I, yeah I lose that credibility right. with him. I, so I think that's such a good well, word my, I, my kids totally. are very different I have one kid who's really like a ham one kid just wants to be, can I be in a video with you? Can, can I tell everybody what I'm doing today? Yeah. And and then I have another one who wants complete privacy. So, yeah, I think we, yeah. we do have to take their cues on that. Yeah, and, it, and it's tough because as a parent, you want to be proud. And, right. you know, for me, with all three of, of my kids, uh, two are living in L.A. And then Joy is still at home. Um, and I often hear, Dad, don't post that. Don't post that. And I'm thinking, yeah, but it's a cool little picture. Or it's, and especially when, you know, my boys are both incredible musicians. And, you know, you, you want the world to see them playing at the church or, you know, all this stuff. And you're like, they're like, yeah, it's, it's okay, Dad. You don't need to do it every time, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I wanted I wanted to bring something out because this is this is something that really drives me crazy. Um, 
they would be people that are a part or have been a part of the church or an organisation and you have, you know, brought these young folks through, even had them on staff, even poured your life into them, really invested into them. I'm not on about my kids. I'm on about people, right? And Mm. then, you know, 10 years on, there's this post that comes out and it's blaming the church for everything. That's why Mm. they've walked away. That's why they're deconstructing. That's why they're doing this, that, and the other. And you're like, yeah, but 10 years ago, you were on my couch Mm. ready to throw it in your life, literally. And we Mm. walked through it with you. And we were there in the darkest times when you had issues going on with parents or issues going on with relationships. And it's as though they forget all of that because they now want this agenda that they've got and they want to blame someone for what's happened. Um, Do you see that? And, And how do you try and address that, especially that individual? Because for me, I mean... I'm, you know, you catch me at the wrong day, at wrong time, you know, and I'm like, let me answer that on Facebook. You know what I mean? And I, I wouldn't, but it, you know, it's yeah. that, it's that for me. It's like yeah. we were there in your darkest hour, and now you're throwing it all away. Mm. How, how do you? Uh, wow. I mean, I can't fathom. Well, I can fathom because I have parents like with adult children that will come up to me night after night when I speak at conferences with tears in their eyes saying my adult children are deconstructing and they're blaming us. They say that we've raised them in a cult or we've done this. And these are, this, these are just wonderful. I'm not imperfect. I'm sure right, right, yeah, Christian right. parents where they're racking their brains to try to figure out what did we do that they're perceiving as so abusive or this or that. And one of the things that may help clarify this conversation is that, um, so I'm about to say something that's probably going to be a little unpopular. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not expecting that. I'll just say this for listeners. This is just my opinion. Okay. (laughs) Um, But religious abuse is a real thing. I acknowledge it. I've done podcasts on it. 100%. I have friends who have been through it. I've walked with people who have been horribly abused in their church situations. I'm not at all claiming that that's not real and that it doesn't exist. So, so put that as the first caveat. But one of the things I see in the deconstruction movement constantly is this claim of religious trauma. Then you get down a little bit further into what they mean by religious trauma, and they mean that they were taught that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and that's an abusive doctrine, and they were abused by being told that. So it's this sort of mixture of, well, I was told I can't live in the sin I want to live in. Or I and there and then hashtag religious trauma or hashtag spiritual abuse, and so there's a conflation. And what I think, what really kind of angers me, is that for the people who have walked through legitimate spiritual abuse, right, where right. they've been sexually assaulted by a pastor or right. verbal verbally abused in an environment that um, you know they didn't know how to get out of or something, 
to claim that it just a core Christian doctrine is abusive to teach. It minimizes what they've been through and minimizes the real abuse that some people have been through the kind that Jesus hates and wants to correct and expose and, and bring change to. Um, But if everything is religious trauma, then nothing is. And so I think that's one of the lies in the deconstruction movement that is so propagated over and over and over again. And that's just that if you just don't like something that was said or taught, then you can claim that you've been abused and you you have trauma from it. And that makes me crazy. (laughs) I know it's very frustrating. It's a very, very frustrating uh, world to navigate the whole world of deconstruction. And like I said, I'm kind of like in it right now because I'm researching for a book for it, but um, it's, it's, it's very depressing research yeah. because of that, because it's very hard to define. Like, was this an actual, like I talked with someone who had deconstructed and some of the experiences she had as a young girl were, would break your, break your guys' hearts mm-hmm. and you can understand. Uh, but then there's also some other stuff going on that right. you're like, some okay, people kinda, use it as a, just use the verbiage as a, as a crutch to live however they want and do whatever they want, yes. you know? And um, yeah. I mean, I know someone who even. And I uh, get, I mean, I get that Chuck. But the thing that I don't, I, the, the thing that ticks me off is, they want to live however they want to live, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tear apart what helped me for ten years yeah. during yeah, well, you, my youth. You, you, you know, well, you, even yeah, you invest. In, yeah, even yeah, yeah. to the point where you see some of these these posts where they're like, you know, well, I was at a, a service where they had me write what I wanted to. Um, give to God, uh, you know, things that sin and we would burn it in the fire. And, and I'm going, what's wrong with that? Like, that's, that's yeah. not abuse. That is, that is an, right. an actual action so that you'll remember about that fire pit night. And do you see what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. it's like they've, they've taken it to the, there's nothing good that right. came out of the right. church. And Nothing. even if there was something kind of goofy that didn't really, you know, yeah. like like youth camp, we did all kinds of goofy stuff right. that I look back on and go, that was kind of dumb or whatever. But abuse, I mean, that's right. the yeah. thing yeah. where work. it's it's like, where is this all coming from? But, it, but honestly, I mean, not to just harp on the social justice thing, that's what it's all rooted in. It's rooting back to those critical theories that are trickling down from academia through the vehicle of social justice and um, it's eroding the church. It's eating the church up. In fact, there was a, I recommend this to all your listeners. There's on YouTube, there's a conversation between a Christian pastor and two atheists. And I think it's called the Trojan horse or something that's in there. It's mm. Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay are the atheists. And I don't know the pastor's name, but they're, they were all talking about these critical theories. And the atheist said, he, he said, I'm not a, I don't hate Christians, but if I did, I could destroy the church with one thing and that's, I would make all the pastors woke and it would destroy itself from the inside. Mm. And this was about two or three years before we saw this rise of all this critical social justice. And I think he was very prophetic for an atheist. Man, no kidding. That's amazing. Wow. We're so grateful for your, for your time, Elisa. And we're going to ask you to pray in, in, in a moment, but um, real quick before you do, um, what is, Obviously, the book comes out October 18th. What do you hope readers take away from it? 
Well, what I hope they take away from it will be similar to the feedback I've gotten when I've given it as a talk. Now, I've expanded it in the book. There's more information in the book. But with another gospel, a lot of the feedback I got was that people were saying, man, thank you so much. I saw this, but I didn't know how to articulate it. Now I know what it's called. And that and that's what I wanted for that book. But what's interesting is with this in material, I've had a lot of feedback of people coming to me saying, I was buying into all this stuff, these kind of these pretty little lies, these cultural lies, but I see it now and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to reject falsehood in my life and live by the truth. So I, I have found that the material has been persuasive for people. So that's really my hope is that if people feel fuzzy, if they feel confused about what Christianity is or what the truth is or how to live by truth, that they'll read that book and go, okay, I, I, I want to live not by lies. I want to live by the truth. So that's what I hope they'll take away from it is, is really something that could benefit their own lives and not just kind of give them language to see what's going on with other people i'm going to ask you a question and i don't and if you feel uncomfortable in answering this is fine but i i I do want to get practical with this conversation because um i see it killing young people like literally young people that god had a, a path and a purpose for them and just these lies have got in who are some of those um, uh, who are some of those folks out there authors or speakers that you would say you need to be careful of hmm. um, because you know everyone knows the the Rob Bells right everyone knows Rob Bell and you know this because because he was the only back then there was a few others doing it but he was the one who was doing a lot of stuff right but but like you know, it's that whole wolf in sheep's clothing side of things. Who are some of those folks that were like, Andy, you, th- these are some of the people we need to just be careful of. Yes. And, and if you don't feel so comfortable I, in we, answering that. No, like, I'm comfortable. You know, I'm comfortable. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I just feel like um, I have a list. <laughs> I can fill out my list for you right now. No, um, so I'm going to give you a few names, but what I want to comment on really quickly is that it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole. Remember that game whack-a-mole where the mole would pop up and you yeah. barely have time yeah. to get that head and another one pops up? That's kind of where we're at right now. Wow. On, between TikTok and Instagram and all the different social media apps, it's like whack-a-mole. You have somebody pop up, get hundreds of thousands of followers, then they'll kind of go quiet and somebody else will become Mm. real popular for a for a minute and different demographics have different people that are just constantly spouting all this stuff. So um, just know that, that yeah. there are influential people in different pockets all over. Uh, I would say one of the main person in my view that is influencing deconstruction and progressive Christianity the most is Richard Rohr. I think Richard Rohr, if you're going to interact with progressive Christianity, you're going to have to interact with his ideas. He teaches extremely heretical ideas about the nature of Christ, about Christianity, about who God is, about the nature of reality. Um, I I would say, uh, in fact, if I could update another gospel, his book came out around the same time another gospel did and it has taken off like wildfire i would update my book with a whole chapter on his universal christ theology which is influencing everyone so Mm. richard Rohr is one um glennon doyle jen hatmaker rachel hollis these are the people i'm kind of interacting with the most in my live your truth and other lies book uh people like brene brown i think people Mm. need to be very careful with uh there there is 
there's just so much falsehood out there. Um, still, the big names in progressive Christianity are going to be people like John Pavlovitz, Brian McLaren, Austin Channing Brown. Um, and I would actually uh, send your listeners to a, a podcast I did called uh, the Evangelical Deconstruction Project, because there are several authors that have more orthodox theology, but they're really drifting in some other areas, and it's just important to be aware of that stuff. So that would just be a few off the top sure. of my head. Love it. Sure. Thank you so well, much. Thank you. Yeah. thank you. Sorry to put you on the spot then, but I just, I, you know we, what I mean? We could go, and, we could go a couple more hours. So, like, but you know what I mean? Wait, wait, yeah. Sometimes yeah. people are like, you, you know, because we're in a, an age where people absorb everything, Right, and so sometimes mm-hmm. it's good to know. Well, we need to be careful of guys yeah. like this or gals like this. Yeah. And and are you? And I you, only make people in that context if they're completely leading people away from Christianity. Sure, you know, yeah. like there yeah. are Christian leaders that might say a few off things, or I might disagree. I'm not going to name them like that. The people right, right, I name right. are people that are leading you to hell. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I hate to be so abrupt about it, but that's really the truth. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you ever get? Um, a, a chance to be able to interact with some of these folks, uh, you know. So early in my time doing this, I did some public conversations with some, I did a public conversation with Lisa Gunger of the Gungers who has deconstructed. Um, I, I did a episode of the bad Christian podcast. I had a public conversation with John Steingard who had uh, deconstructed and left Christianity. I don't do a lot of that anymore because when I, if I'm going to have a debate, I like to really spend a lot of time prepping for that yeah, and making yeah. sure I can answer. And I just don't have the time right now. But in my actual life, I mean, I have progressive Christians in my friend group and family. So sure, sure. Um, there, there's, you know, I have in my own life conversations all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, publicly, I've just done a few. Sure, sure. Okay. Sorry, Chuck. I know I put it in no, there. Sorry. No, no, it's all good. I know we could keep going and we... Um, we just want to be, we're so grateful for your time. So we don't want, we want to go ahead and pray and have, have ask you to pray if you're willing to do that. And for those that are listening right now that are struggling, they're on the fence and they don't want to be deceived by lies that truth and they don't know what to believe. And um, so we would love for you to yeah, do that. Well, let's pray. Yeah. Father, thank you so much for this time together with my brothers. I pray that this conversation would be beneficial to the people who hear that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each and every heart, that ultimately people would walk away encouraged knowing that we can stand on the truth and maybe maybe be emboldened to stand up to maybe some of even the smaller little lies that they're interacting with in their jobs or at uh, home or even in their churches, Lord, there's people who are listening to this who you are calling to do some brave things. I don't know what those things are, but you do and they do. And I pray that uh, you would lead them to walk through the doors they need to walk through, even as scary as those seem, as intimidating as they seem. We know that we have uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do these things and to speak truth into situations where lies are being propagated. And I pray that you would just raise up a generation of young people that embrace truth. Lord, Jesus, you said you are the truth. When we embrace truth, we're embracing you. And as you said to Pilate, um, everybody who, who listens to you is of the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people of the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, how can people connect with you? Uh, social media, website, what, how, how could they yeah. do that? 
Thank you. Well, everything's at alisachilders.com, but you can also look up the Alisa Childers podcast. I interview people with different expertise that relate to these topics. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that's gotten pretty popular or gained some followers in the last couple of years and uh, Instagram and Facebook at Alisa Childers. Great. Love it. You've done some stuff with John Cooper of Skillet, so we love that, too. Yes, John so. is, man, he's a strong voice right now. Love yeah, it. Love it. Good. Well, we're grateful for your voice and your willingness to come on and, and share that voice. Can't wait to dive into the new book and future projects. Well, Thank you. We, the one last thing we always ask uh, our guests to do is the big three. Okay, got nothing to do. There won't be as heavy a questions as perhaps what we've already talked about. But uh, but uh, do you want me to start? Go, go ahead. Okay, so I lived in Nashville for a time. I was on staff at Cross Point Church uh, for a little time down there. And what I loved about Nashville was the food. Okay, mm. so where are you taking us in Nashville for food? Mm. So this is, uh, you know, this is a big question because uh, most of my food, like uh, my husband knows I'm such a snob. I love to cook my own food. I make a lot of stuff. So if I'm going to go to a restaurant, it has to be something I don't either don't want to make for myself or can't make for myself as good. Okay. So there are, there's a few places that I love. I love, love, love a place called Urban Market, which is not far from where Cross Point yeah. is over there on Franklin Road, right? Yep. Uh, it's called Urban Market and they do salads and stuff. I love that place. I love a barbecue place called Judge Beans. My husband and I go there uh, sometimes. And we have just this little local Mexican place mm. in uh, just right around the corner from where my daughter used to do her jujitsu there and it's it's a mexican place called don arturo's we love it it's our yeah. fave so if you're in spring hill you know and you go to don arturo's i might be there oh there we go <laughs> uh, all right so so my question is obviously you were in zoe girl and and um you love music so who do you listen to right now you know, this is going to be the most boring answer in the history of the world, but I really don't listen to a lot of music right now. I, I um, Every spare moment that I have, if I have time to do something like that, I'm going to be listening to lectures or podcasts or sure. Bible studies yeah. or stuff. Sure, so yeah. <laughs> that's kind of boring. But, um, you know, once in a while, I'll I'll uh, pull out my Shane and Shane and I listen mm. to, in fact, their, their song, Oh, Praise the Name, I listen to almost every day when I was writing another gospel. So sometimes I'll revisit that, but I don't really listen to a lot of music. Oh, it's all, it's all right. good. That's cool. That's right. Okay, so here's, here's one. Um, what do you m- miss the most in not being in Zoe girl. I, I miss being with the girls. I we, um, you know, we just had such a, a special relationship and it's an experience that three of us shared that we'll always have. And just kind of going into each venue with the girls and we were kind of each other's stable, um, you know, stability because yeah. you're in such a, you're in a different place every day, different people. So you always have the experiences you have together and that gives you like a stability. So I do, I do miss that. I miss yeah, them. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you so much for being on thank Revival you. Town podcast today. I know uh, everyone that's listening are going to just love this conversation. And the thing that I love about it is it doesn't end here, right? I mean, they right. can uh, yeah. reach out to you, reach, you know, go on the YouTube channel, uh, really be able to dive deep with your books. Um, so and your I, podcast. And the podcast. So I, I do want to thank you for everything you, you produce. Uh, and we know it's not just a product. It's who you are. It's what you want to do as far as really 
portraying the truth of the word of God. So thank you again for being on Revival Town Podcast. Oh, it was so fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. And we're back. You know, hands down, one of my top episodes, one of my favorite episodes since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your other ones? Other favorite episodes? Well, I'm going to start naming names and I'm going to leave people out. I'm going well, to feel bad, I know, you I know, know but that's but, um, part of it. Um, Amy Grant was special. Yeah. Just because she's an icon and she was so kind and gracious. Yeah. And I was really impressed with how genuine she was. I remember that was one of the ones that you were nervous about. Yeah. Because it was early on. We'd only yeah. been going a few months. Right. I remember calling you and saying, hey, Amy has agreed to come on. And you were like, no way. Yeah. And uh, I, rem- I remember you being nervous and, and your wife, the, the story with your wife with the guitar yes. and all that. That was, yeah. Uh, make sure you're going back and checking that episode out. Uh, it was Christmas of 2020. Yep. Yeah. Christmas is 2020. And, and then it. we did a, a reboot of that with some new intros and outros for July. We did a Christmas in July where we replaced Last it. Last year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, that, so that, yeah, that was, that was, that was way, one. way up there uh, uh, on my list. And um, because I'm such a fan of The Chosen, I really was excited to talk with Dallas, the creator. And then, of course, with Lada Silva just a few weeks ago, who was one of the actresses on the show. So those are extra special yeah. just because I'm, I mean, I'm even rocking my chosen hat today. How about oh, that? Oh, man. Oh, right. man. You know, what? I've been so, talking to you and the camera's been just on me. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Why don't you show me your, show me your hat? Why don't you do okay. that? All right. Yeah, yeah, look at that. Populate heaven. There we go. So, so how about you? Um, for me, I there's a few. I think the time with Leland was very special. It really was. Um, he is a genuine worship guy. Uh, Martin Smith, all the delirious guys, obviously. But yeah, Martin, Re- Revival Town, for those of you who do not know, the name was inspired by a song from Delirious called Revival Town. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we've had all the all the Revival Town guys, including the bus driver. No, <laughs> <laughs> no he's next. He's next, I tell you. No, um, I think also um, Dave Jane. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's a close friend. So there was great chemistry with the three of us, and we laughed for so the hard. whole hour. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a good one. Uh, that really jumped out. Clem Ferris at the beginning of this of the podcast way back was one of my favorite ones as well, talking about the prophetic and things like that. So, hey, we're not stopping, Chuck. We're keeping going. Uh, we're we're over over ninety episodes now, way into the nineties yeah, now. Yeah. We're heading close to hundred, yeah. and we have a, a coming soon. We have a a really big name person who's a mover and a shaker who's coming on we've we actually pre-recorded it a while ago yeah we have and um we're not telling you who it is yet yeah but that was a a, a really special episode yes it was. i thought yeah. really that's, really good it's going to be coming in october that in one. october so yeah. yeah so it's been fun well um chuck it is um we haven't done taken his mate well are you ready i'm ready let's do it all right okay <laughs> I was sitting here going, there's something not right. We we have missed something. I don't know what it is. And then uh, I I look down and I'm like, I'm like, 
We haven't done Tate and his mate. mate, which is where we um, we we throw an English word phrase at Mr. Chuck Tate, um, an English word that is not used over here. And uh, I'm going to use it in the sentence. Is, is that okay? If yeah. I, if and then I, I, I have to guess the meaning. Yeah. So um, I, if we keep going, I'm going to need to go to the privy. If we keep going, you're going to have to go to the privy. Yeah. I'm going to say the bathroom. Yeah, it was a bit easy, wasn't it? Oh! The privy. Yeah, okay, yeah, it was easy. Sorry about that. To, to get the, the... The privy. Yeah, the privy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, that was a quick one today because I, literally I was like, whoa, wait, quick. But yeah, you got to run to the privy? You're all right. Hey, I'm, I'm all good, but... Um, I tell you what, I had to run to the prairie after our interview with, with Elisa, as I had too much coffee, and man, as soon as that was over, whoo, I hit it. <laughs> it was a long, I, long yeah, episode, because yeah. we recorded it as one. As uh, one, and, and we, we put it into two parts, and we're, again, we're so grateful for Elisa, her willingness to come on, and not just to come on, but to to give us time yeah, yeah. to unpack all that she did, and to be willing to, to share what she did, so um, again, this is... Definitely one of my favorite episodes. So thank you for listening. All right. Well, we will see you next week. Make sure you're tuning in. Make sure you're telling people about Revival Town Podcast. And see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revival Town Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, head on over to revivaltownpodcast.com. Oh,